Father, we thank you that you are here today. God, we look around this room and we recognize that there are many, many people who are here today. We know that we are here, but as we came into this place, we chose to lift up the name of Jesus. And Jesus, you said that when you be lifted up, you will draw men and women unto yourself. We thank you that you also inhabit our praise and you inhabit our worship. So I pray that today you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. I pray, Father, as we consider those who we might want to invite later on this month, on Christmas Eve, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would go ahead and start preparing the soil of their hearts for this encounter. And I pray, Father, that we would do our best to invite and that you would call people's names into the kingdom at Christmas this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you got your Bible, would you meet me in John chapter 1 this morning? John chapter 1. And I want to bring you a message today, as I said, that's simply entitled, An Invitation. An Invitation. If you've been here the last couple of Sundays, we put our Christmas invite cards in people's hands when you walk through the doors of this place. And we did that not just to advertise and promote the fact that we're going to have Christmas Eve services, but we want those cards to serve as invites to the people in your life, the people in your world that you might want to invite on Christmas Eve this year. We've talked about our services. We have services at 11, 1, 4, and 6 on Christmas Eve. But it's not so much about the number of people that we want to see walk through the doors of this place on Christmas Eve. More than that, it's the people that God wants to connect with this Christmas season. And so as we talk about an invitation this morning, I want to walk through John chapter 1, and I want to look at a series of invitations that turn out to be very, very significant in the New Testament scriptures, and they all take place in John chapter 1. Before we get there, I just want to take a moment and open my heart and just share personally, if I can, for a moment, about invitations, or maybe more specifically, about parties. I've come to recognize this year especially that there are two types of people in the world. There are party goers, and there are party throwers. And here's what I mean by that. I have four kids, my wife and I have four kids, and this time of year, I know that we're obviously planning for Christmas, our Christmas Day celebrations. For us, our Christmas Eve, we're full on that day, and we're super excited about that day. But right now, we and our family are coming to the end of birthday season. And what I mean by that is all six of us, our birthdays will take place within a 60-day period from October 27th to December 26th. So, oh yeah, throw in Christmas as well. Pray for us, please. And if you are here today and you do loans at a low interest rate, I would love to talk to you after, just, just kidding. But the point is simply this, you know, we tell our kids every year, we're like, listen, we want to celebrate every single one of your birthdays, but we are not throwing four birthday parties every year, okay? So what we will do is we will celebrate their birthdays, but if it's a bigger birthday, if it's five, if it's 10 and so on, we'll throw a birthday party for the child who's having that bigger birthday. So a few weeks ago, we threw a really small party for my daughter, my oldest daughter, because she turned 10. And, you know, we're just blown away that she's 10 years old now. But we throw this little party, and as soon as we start talking about throwing a party and party planning, my wife gets really, really excited because she's on one side of the, of the spectrum here. She is a party thrower. She wants to throw the party. She loves hospitality. She likes to host. She wants to get the place ready, do all the decorating, all the things to make for a great party. She's a great party thrower, in my opinion. But me, I'm on the other end. I'm not so much a party thrower. I am a party goer. So again, I think there's two types of people in this world, maybe three. We'll explain that one in a moment. How many people would lift a hand and say, Zach, that's me. I am the party thrower. I love hospitality. I love to host. I love to decorate. You are the party thrower. All right, where's the rest of you guys? You are the party goers. I don't necessarily want to throw the party, but I'm more than happy to go 
to the party. Two types of people. And listen, if you didn't raise your hand, you are the third type of person. You're the person that just needs to loosen up a little bit. (laughs) So if you get that invitation to a Christmas party, put on that ugly sweater, go and have a good time. (laughs) Man, I got you guys now. This is fun. But here's the thing. My wife and I have had a lot of conversations because she gets so into the decor and the throwing of the party And she'll look at me, and you know, I'm happy to help accommodate, facilitate the work that needs to be done in order to throw the party. But if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be the guy who would throw the party. And sometimes she looks at me, and she's like, why are you you the way that you are? (laughs) And I can't fully explain it. I can't fully, you know, tell you why it is that I'm that way. But I will say this. This year, it really hit me. I had kind of an epiphany that at this time of year, one of the things that happens when we start talking about throwing a party... All my insecurities tend to come to the surface because if you are going to invite people to your house to have a party, party is synonymous with fun. I mean, who wants to go to a party that isn't fun? Has anybody been to a party that wasn't fun? Because if you're invited to a party and the party turns out to not be fun, guess what? The next time that person invites you to their house, you don't want to go because going to their house is not fun and yet they still called it a party. And the point is this, I I found like there was this insecurity that was coming to the surface because I recognized that as soon as we'd sent out an invitation, we're not just sending out an invitation inviting others to come and celebrate my daughter's birthday, we're inviting them to come and have fun. And I got uncomfortable because I thought to myself, that sounds great, but what if the party isn't fun? We gotta make this fun, we gotta do a good job, we gotta work really hard, we gotta do all these things and make it really great, create this awesome atmosphere. Those things aren't my giftings. What if people come and the party's just, meh, it's all right. And my insecurity comes to the surface. And I guess if there's one easy way that I could kind of summarize this thought, it would be simply this. I don't wanna send out an invitation that's inviting people to have fun and I overpromise, yet underdeliver. Does that make sense to anybody? Does anybody else ever feel this way if you're having the party at your house? I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. There's nothing better, though, when you actually go through, you do all the work, you send out the invitations, people come, it seems like everybody, for the most part, has a pretty good time. They walk away saying, thanks, it was a good time, they stay a long time, and you realize, okay, cool, it went off well. I didn't overpromise, we fully delivered on the thing we were inviting people to. With that thought in mind, I sometimes stop and wonder, why is it, how is it that there could possibly be people in the world who have not received the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ into their lives and into their heart, considering everything that Jesus promises? I don't get it. I don't understand. Because I've come into a relationship with him, and he's totally changed my life. And what I found is that he didn't just make me a bunch of promises that I haven't stepped into. No, he made some really big promises, and every day of my life, I discovered just how good he really is. And when I stop and I reflect upon what he's done in my life, and when you stop and you reflect upon what he has done in yours, it brings me back to this place where I recognize that God is the only one in the universe who never overpromises and never underdelivers. In fact, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians 1. He said that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, there is no promise that God or Christ will make to us that he will not absolutely over-deliver on. And in a world where people seem to look at God and look at church or look at the things of this world and say, wow, those sound like some great promises, but surely it can't all be true. God is a God who not only keeps his promises, he always over-delivers on them. And with that said, I want to say to every person in the house today that there's something significant about an invitation. Think about your walk with God. It probably started with an invitation, somebody inviting you to church, somebody inviting you to a small group, somebody inviting you to a Bible study, and suddenly you found yourself positioned in such a way that you encountered a God who changed your life. There's something significant about an invitation. And in the book of John, we see in John 1 a series of invitations that I want to talk about today, and I want to look at the significance of these invitations. And if you know your Bible very well, you'll know that each gospel tells the story of Christ a little bit differently. But in John 1, one of the interesting things is it doesn't just tell the story of the birth of Christ, you know, Jesus in the manger. Really, John sets up this narrative where he kind of compares his first chapter with Genesis 1, and he brings Jesus forth as the God who was there at the very beginning of time and creation. He was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. We beheld him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he writes on and on and on, putting Jesus back there at the opening scene of creation. So it's a different story of Jesus. But the thing that happens next in kind of the middle of John 1 is Jesus is baptized. And right after Jesus' baptism, it says that the Spirit of God comes upon him like a dove, and then as he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, he now goes off into his earthly ministry. And it's here that a series of invitations pick up as people begin to follow Jesus. And this is where I want to open the story today. In John chapter 1, look at verse 35. It says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, talking about John's disciples. This is John the Baptist. Verse 36, and looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, pause right here for a moment, because as we said, this scene we're reading from takes place after the baptism of Jesus. Jesus goes to the Jordan River. John has been baptizing people, and he's really calling out and saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's letting everybody know that the Messiah is coming. What they didn't know was that the Messiah was there. He was among them. And so Jesus walks up, and he actually asks John the Baptist to baptize him, as we said, and Jesus is baptized. But then the very next day after Jesus' baptism, John encounters him once again. And this time, John has two of his disciples with him, and he looks at Jesus, and he points to him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And this means so many things. In the Old Testament, you know, when we talk about a spotless or sinless lamb, that was really a picture of who Jesus was. The sacrifice that was to be offered of a lamb was always the first and best, the sinless, or excuse me, the spotless lamb, and that's who Jesus was because he was sinless. But we also know today that Jesus was our Passover lamb. Because of his sacrifice, we are forgiven. The blood of Jesus washes us White as snow. And John says that about Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God. And look at what happens next. Verse 37. So the two disciples of John heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. This was as if John was saying, guys, behold the Lamb of God. You don't want to follow me anymore. It's it's him that you want to start following. And it's as if John was giving this invitation. Walk away from me so you can begin to follow Jesus. 
Verse 38, then Jesus turned and seeing them following him, he said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated to say, teacher, where are you staying? Interesting words, interesting question. Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, come and see. I love this phrase. In fact, this phrase shows up two times in John 1, and it shows up again later on in John 11. Jesus looks back at them and says, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him. Notice that word. They remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. If you're taking notes this morning, I just want to give you a few thoughts about the significance of an invitation, okay? Here's the first thought. Number one, Jesus invites us into a lifelong experience, not just a one-time encounter. Jesus invites us into a lifelong experience, not just a one-time encounter. Notice that when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he again refers to him as the Lamb of God. So when John identifies Jesus, it says to his own two disciples to walk away from following me and begin to follow Jesus. And as Jesus acknowledges them, they ask him a very simple question. Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, why do they ask him this? And the answer is kind of simple, and we're going to learn more about it as we read on in this chapter. But see, these disciples were most likely in Bethany at this moment. Jesus was from Nazareth, and we find out a few verses later that at least one of these two disciples was from Bethsaida. So in other words, none of them are at home. It's as if they're all far from home in a sense. They're all kind of away from the place that they would rest their head. And it was as if they were saying, Jesus, we know that you aren't from around here, and neither are we. Where are you staying? Or could we possibly come over and hang out for just a little bit? And the beauty of this exchange is that Jesus doesn't just give them a quick answer and walk away. Oh, I'm staying at the Motel 6 around the corner, the Holiday Inn. I'm using some Marriott points down the street. He doesn't say any of those things. Instead, he looks at them and says, why don't you come and see where I'm staying? And I love this this thought because it's like Jesus doesn't say, you know, why don't you call my secretary, make an appointment. Maybe I'll have time later for you today. You can DM me on all of my social media platforms. Maybe I'll get back to you when I have a chance. No, he looks at them and says, you want to find out more about me? You want to spend some time with me? You want to find out what I'm all about? You want to find out my ministry, where I'm going, what I've been doing? Come and see. Come and see. And it occurs to me that Jesus could have simply told them where he was staying and walked away, but he didn't do that. Instead, he looks at them and invites them to come and remain with him. Jesus invites them in a very personal way to come and experience what life with him is like. He invites them to experience life with him, not just an encounter with him. And I want to just take a moment right here for a second, if I can, and open my heart. And I want to talk to you for just a moment about the difference between an encounter and an experience. If I told you today that I had a job, an open position that I was going to be hiring for, and you were looking for a job, you needed a job or a better job than the one you had, it's very possible that you would come to me and you would say, can you tell me a little bit more about this job? And I would say, well, here's what the job looks like. And you would say, okay, I think I could do that job. I would then say, can you give me a resume? And on that resume, there would be an area on your resume that would list your previous experience, the things that you had done, the things that you're proficient in, the things that you know how to do. I've never seen a resume that didn't have experiences, but rather simply had encounters on it. I remember using Microsoft Excel one time. I think I could figure it out. 
If you don't know how to use it, it takes quite a while to figure it out. I'll admit to you today, I still don't know how to use it, and I have to do a monthly expense report with that program. And the point is simply this. There's a difference between an encounter, something that you did briefly, something that you experienced one day. There's a big difference between an encounter and a lifelong experience. And we kind of live in a world where we're all about encounters. And sometimes even in the church world, we tend to fall into this trap where we'll talk about people coming to have an encounter with God, an encounter with God, an encounter with God. And there's nothing wrong with having an encounter with God. But guess what? When you encounter Jesus, he doesn't want to just walk away and you go a different way. He wants to continue to walk with you throughout the rest of your life. And as pastors and leaders and really as the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus did not look at his disciples and say, go into all the world and make converts. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Because you can say that Jesus is my Savior, but not still surrender lordship of your life to him. And so when Jesus doesn't just give a one-word answer to these two disciples and say, I'm staying over there, it really speaks to me and tells me that Jesus didn't want to just have an encounter. He wanted to invite them to come and see what a life with him really looks like. See, God is calling us as Christians to go beyond having individual encounters with Christ and to live out a lifelong experience of knowing him and walking with him. Our personal discipleship must be more than sporadic encounters. It needs to be continual, consistent experience where God is growing us, maturing us, and shaping our lives so that we don't just remain in the place we were when we first met Jesus. Jesus invites us to come and see So take up his invitation. Come and see what it's like to live with Jesus, to remain with Jesus. Not just settle for a one-time encounter, but have a lifelong experience of discovering his goodness day by day by day by day. I would ask you the question this morning, my friends. Many of us in this room have had encounters with God, but have you continued to remain with Christ every day of your life? Because there's a big, big difference. Now, with all of that said, I want to encourage everybody with this. I think if your life is anything like mine, I come to church, well, I work here, so I'm here every single Sunday. (laughs) But I'm a pastor and I love church, and before I was on staff at a church, I was in church every single Sunday. It became my custom. And the reason why is because the Bible says that being in in the Lord's house and being in God's house was Jesus' custom. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. So I'm going to be in the house of the Lord. But here's the deal. Living out a consistent walk with Jesus for all of us started with an invitation. And I think for all of us that can look back at the path that's behind us, the trail that's behind us, and see the huge differences that Jesus has made in our lives, why wouldn't we extend that same invitation to others to come and see and find out what life with Jesus is really like? Why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we do it? If he's changed my life, imagine what he can do in the lives of the people in our world. Amen? I want to read on and continue to the next thing and talk about some more of these significant encounters. Look at verse 40 in John 1. So one of the two, these two disciples that are now following Jesus, they heard John speak and they followed Jesus. This man's name was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. Now stop right here because this is the first time in the book of John that Peter's name is mentioned and his brother's name is mentioned before him. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him, he brought Simon Peter to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon. Imagine this for a moment. 
Andrew is now identified as one of these two disciples that's following Jesus. He learns about Jesus. He stays with Jesus all day. He remains with him. He finds out just a small glimpse of what it's like not just to encounter Jesus, but to spend some time with him and see Jesus work in his life. And what does he do? He goes and invites his brother, Simon Peter. I mean, one of the most significant figures in all of the New Testament. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But at this very first encounter, Andrew brings Peter. Peter encounters Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter, and this is what he said. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, but now you shall be called Cephas. That's the Hebrew word, which is translated a stone. In Greek, it's Petros, a rock. And really, Jesus is looking at Peter, and he's speaking something over Peter that Peter doesn't yet understand about himself. If you're taking notes again this morning, here's the second thought I want to tell you, significance of an invitation. Number two, Jesus invites us to discover who we were truly created to be. And in this very moment, Peter comes to Jesus to find out if he's really the Messiah, not knowing that Jesus is about to speak his future, his destiny, and his purpose over his life. This is a game changer of a moment that takes place right here in John 1, and it all happens because of a simple invitation. You see, Peter would go on to do so many incredible things and become one of the most prominent figures in all of the New Testament and the early church. Listen to this. Peter would eventually walk on water with Jesus, stand on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and other Old Testament prophets, by the way, cut off a soldier's ear for arresting Jesus, deny three times that he even knew Jesus, find forgiveness for what he had done from Jesus, preach on the day of Pentecost that salvation is found in no other name than Jesus, and take the gospel to the house of Cornelius and the entire Gentile world for Jesus, and finally die a death upon a cross just like Jesus. That's Peter. That was his life. And right here in John 1, he has this encounter. He has this moment where he sees Jesus, and Jesus suddenly doesn't just tell him everything that's going to happen, but he begins to prophesy the future and the way that, and who Peter was truly created to be right there in one single moment. I think about that for a minute, and I think about it in my own life and try to you know, consider, have I ever had a game changer of a moment where I discovered something about my future that was different than my past, where God had something for me that I didn't even realize yet? And there were two things that came to mind, and I've probably shared a couple or maybe one or maybe both of these stories in the past, but I remember years and years ago when my dad, Pastor Gary, was one of the staff pastors here at the church. We weren't even in this building yet. We were in our old building on Yunez over by the freeway, and I remember coming to church. It was one of the very first times that I had stepped foot in this church, and I was really just starting to get my life back together. God was kind of calling me back home. And I remember I came into church one day, and my dad introduced me to a guy after church. Here's the thing that's crazy, is I couldn't even tell you who this guy was. I don't remember who it was. I don't remember his name. I don't remember what he looked like. But my dad said, hey, come and meet this person. I want to introduce you to him. And so I walked over, and I met him, and he says, what's your name? And I said, my name's Zach. He says, Zachary? And I said, yeah. And he said, the Lord remembers. I always try not to cry when I tell this story because you guys know me and I do that. My name, my name means the Lord remembers. And this guy just happened to know the meaning of my name when I met him that day. And God was really drawing me back home and drawing me back into relationship with him. And there'd been a bunch of stuff that had happened leading up to that that just really messed me, messed me up pretty good. And I wasn't sure I wanted to go back to church. And I wasn't really sure how I felt about you guys, you crazy Christians. I just wasn't really 
sure how I felt about everything. I remember coming back that day, and when that man looked in my eyes and said, the Lord remembers, that's the meaning of my name, and it was as if God was saying, I still remember who I called you to be. You might have forgotten, but I've still got something in front of you that's bigger than where you've been. Because you see, when somebody invites you to come and have an encounter with Jesus, spend some time with him, and suddenly experience who he really is, he starts to speak things over your life that you didn't even know about yet. I'll never forget several years later, it was 2007, before I had gone on to finish my Bible college and my schooling, I was in church on a Sunday morning and I wasn't feeling good. My, my stomach was hurting and I was just like, I'm going to go home. And we were having church in a movie theater because we set up and tore down on Sunday mornings. And I got up and I walked out the door and I get in the car and I'm driving home, not feeling well. And it was like my phone just started blowing up and all of these friends from church were texting me just one after another, after another, where are you, where are you, where are you, get in here, get in here, get in here. I'm like, what in the world is going on? I turn around and I go back to church not feeling good. I walked inside. I sat down about halfway back in the middle section. And it was funny because I actually remember very specifically that my stomach stopped hurting and I felt fine after this. And I'm sitting there and my pastor standing up on the stage and looks down and says, ah, there you are. I got something for you, but hold on. And at the end of the message, I finished their message. And as soon as they were finished, I said, Zach, stand up. And I knew that God was calling me to ministry, but I was trying to figure out what that looked like. My pastor looked at me and said, Zach, you're a teacher. And I hadn't firmly grasped that in my heart yet. I wasn't sure that I was ready to own that. But it was like suddenly somebody just reaches down and identifies something inside of you that you're just trying to figure out what it is. And boom, from that day forward, it was like everything changed and God just began to put me on the right path to kind of arrive where I'm at today. And listen, I'm not the main event. We're, we're a church. This is a body of believers just following Jesus. But I want to tell you something. When you get in the presence of God and you spend a little time with Jesus, he can speak things over your future that you didn't even know about yourself. And a little bit of an experience and an encounter with Jesus, suddenly he will start to tell you who you were truly created to be. I think it totally makes sense that Peter later on in his epistles, he would write these words. He said, Second Peter chapter 1, he says that God has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these we might be partakers of his divine nature. See, Peter had an encounter with Jesus, an experience with Jesus where he didn't even know everything God had for his future. But after he walked with him, after he spent some time with him, and he followed Jesus, later on he found out that all of God's promises were yes and amen for his life, and those promises gave him the ability to be a partaker of the divine nature of God. God wants you to step into everything that he has for your life, and oftentimes it starts with an invitation. I want to ask you a question today. Who was it that invited you into a relationship with Jesus? How thankful are you? How thankful are you that somebody invited you to come and see? everything that God has for you in your future. All right, let's read on before I cry some more. Look at verse 43 in John 1. It says in verse 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. (laughs) I love that phrase, and he found Philip. And he said to Philip, follow me. I'm sorry, I'm just going to cry it up this morning. I think for a lot of us, just pause right there for a minute. I think so many of us, when we talk about our relationship with God, We talk about us finding Jesus. I found Jesus. I found God. People in the world will say, oh, you found religion, you found church, you found whatever. I think if we're all just being honest with ourselves, I think our story is a lot like Philip. Jesus found us. 
He found me in the middle of my mess, in the middle of my life, in the middle of my wandering, in the middle of the road that I was walking. I love that phrase. It says that Jesus found Philip. And he said to him, Philip, follow me. Verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, which was the city of Andrew and Peter. So now three of these guys have something in common. They're all from the same hometown. Philip found Nathaniel, his friend, and he invites Nathaniel to come along as well. He says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And look at Nathaniel's response. And Nathaniel said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But I love what Philip says to his skeptical friend, Nathaniel. Nathaniel, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to debate with you. I'm not going to talk about the Old Testament and the prophets and theology. I'm just going to say this to you, Nathaniel. Come and see. And what does Nathaniel do? He, he comes and follows Jesus. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's the third thought about the significance of an invitation. Number three, Jesus invites us to find the difference between the truth and all of our misconceptions. He invites us to find the difference between the truth of who he is and all of our misconceptions. And again, I love how Philip responds, not by arguing, not by debating, not by trying to talk Nathaniel into it. He just simply says, come and see. See, by inviting Nathaniel, it was as if he was saying, I don't know what you've heard, and I don't know what you've experienced about other Nazarenes, but I want to invite you to come and see for yourself who Jesus really is is. I would be willing to bet that in this room today, there are many, many people who would say, until the day came that I met Jesus for myself, I had all kinds of preconceived ideas and even misconceptions about who he was, but then I experienced him for myself. And most likely it happened on the other side of an invitation. I heard a great story a few years ago from a pastor that pastors a very, very, very large church here in America. I mean, way, way bigger than the bridge. This pastor told a story about how in the early days of their church, the church starting to grow. They had a lot of students coming to their youth group. He said, and then a crazy thing happened. He said, we had like a mini revival that broke out in our youth group. He said, and the cool thing about it was it wasn't just this feel-good event where people came and experienced God and went home and nothing changed. He said, it was like students were coming and they were repenting before God and saying, we want forgiveness. We want to change our ways. We want to follow Jesus. He said, and what was funny was one of the most specific things that began to happen, they said it was like students were no longer going out and getting smashed on Friday night with their friends. He said, not only that, but we had parents that were saying, it's crazy. We found out that our students are like walking away from these unhealthy relationships. And suddenly, you know what happened? There was a watchdog group in town that heard about what was going on and literally sent out like this region-wide email warning about this cult that was popping up in their area. And he goes, the craziest part about it was people thought we were a cult because their kids didn't want to drink and sleep around anymore. (laughs) They were like, that's weird. And he told this story and he said, but listen, he goes, when God is blessing your church and things are starting to grow, he goes, let me tell you, it's really deflating when somebody comes out, points the finger and says, it must be a cult. He said, that day I just wanted to quit because God was doing so many amazing things. He goes, so I got away and I got on my knees and I just spent time with God and I said, God, what do I do? What do I do? I want to I, I quit today. I feel so devastated. He said, in that moment of prayer, he goes, I felt like the Holy Spirit just gently whispered and said, reach out to him and tell him, come and see for yourself. 
He said, so we did. He goes, we spent more money on a marketing campaign just to send it out to everybody in our region to say, hey, you heard about this church that people are calling a cult? Come and find out for yourself. We're not afraid to open these doors. Have a look. Check it out. We're not afraid. And he said, what was amazing was how as soon as we did that, all these people from the community came in with all of these misconceptions, and scores of them came in and got saved because what they found out was that Jesus was somebody different than who people said he was. And I want to tell you something today. A simple invitation where people can come in and experience God will change everything in their lives, and it will alleviate all of the misconceptions and the preconceived ideas because an experience with God changes everything. So many more things that I could say this morning. I actually have more in my notes, but we're definitely getting close to being out of time. I told you to stop this morning and just consider whose name you might write on this sticker and say, I want to invite that person to be here on Christmas Eve this year. Christmas Eve is obviously a very, very special day because we celebrate the birth of Christ. It's a candlelight service where we have carols, brief message, reading of the Christmas story. But it's one of my favorite nights of the year because the presence of God is always so incredibly tangible in this place. And we recognize that Christmas is not just a story that we read, but it's a savior to be experienced. So I want to invite you today, if you have the sticker, to consider who it is that you would invite and not just consider, but commit to inviting somebody to be here on Christmas Eve this year. If you'd like to do that, you can write their name right there in the blank spot in the middle of the sticker and on your way out today, You can slap it on that big board right there on your way out. You don't have to slap, you know, hard. But please don't put it over the letters either. It looks pretty. (laughs) In closing this morning, here's the last thing I want to say. In John 11, Jesus comes back to Bethany to see his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He finds out that Lazarus has died. As he gets to the outskirts of the town, suddenly Mary comes running to find him. She says, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What's so interesting is that he says, take me to the place where they've buried him. And it says that somebody looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, come and see. Come and see where they've buried him. And one of the most beautiful pictures in all of scripture, they take Jesus to this tomb where Lazarus is laying. And the scripture says that Jesus wept, and Jesus began to cry. And it says that everybody that was standing there marveled at the compassion that Jesus had for his friends. This is a picture of Jesus' humanity, the way that he understands what we walk through, what we go through. I was reading that third place in the book of John where the phrase, come and see, shows up, and it occurs to me that Jesus invites us to come in and find out just how compassionate he really is. This is a room full of people that I know we could look back and say, when I came to Jesus, I found out that he was quite compassionate. He was quite gracious. He was quite quite loving and merciful. While I deserve to be judged for my sin, he welcomed me into his family because he loves me. That's who our God is, and he's done it for us, and he wants to do that in the lives of the people in our world as well. The question is, are we willing to extend the invitation? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I thank you today for this body of believers, these people who are here today that comprise this church. God, we're just one local church. Your church, your kingdom is really really big and really vast. But Father, I thank you today that you've called all of us here, you've invited all of us here, and we stand today as a group of people who have experienced your goodness. Father, if there are people in this place today that walk in with preconceived ideas, misconceptions about who you are, I pray that you would show them the truth 
between misconceptions and reality. If there are people in this place today that need a new future, I pray that you would show them who you are calling them to be, something in their future that's so much greater than their past. And I pray for people in this place today that have had encounters with you, but they need to take that encounter and go beyond just one encounter. They need to have a lifelong experience of following you. I pray that you would knock on the door of their heart today and that you would tell them that you've laid before them an invitation. And I pray that as you speak to them, they would take you up on that invitation and find out just how good you really are. Maybe you're here today with heads bowed and eyes closed and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. There's only one way we come into a relationship with God in heaven. That's by saying yes to Jesus, the Lamb of God. I believe he's inviting you. He's calling you. He's knocking on the door of your heart today saying, come home. Come and see. Come and see just how good he really is. And I'm going to pray a prayer here in just a moment. You don't have to have all of the answers. You don't have to have life figured out. You don't have to know the Bible from cover to cover. All you have to do is take him up on his invitation and find out just how good he really is and all that he has in store for you. We're going to pray a prayer right now, and I want to ask, do you want to make that decision today to follow Jesus, just to commit in your heart? Repeat these words if you'd like. Just make a decision to follow Jesus and confess that you want to follow him from this day forward. Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth and you died for us. We believe you're the son of God, and we believe that your death is full payment for our sin. We believe you did not just die, but you were raised from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave for us and giving us new life. So today we receive you. We receive your new life, and we surrender our ways to you so that we can take up your ways and follow you in this life into eternity. We give you ourselves today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And listen, very last thing before we go, okay? If you're here today and you made a decision to follow Jesus, we just want to help you start your walk with God. Right after service, we're going to have some prayer teams. They'll be right down here near the front of the platform. If you want to walk up to one of our prayer teams, let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. They would love to give you a little book. It's a simple gift called The Next Seven Days. It'll help you get started in your walk with God. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, you can stop by the Next Seven Days desk. Our team is there to put that book in your hand and get you started in your journey of faith. Hey, listen, Bridge family, can we put our hands together and welcome people to God's family today? All right, the hungry people are in a hurry, so we'll dismiss. We love you guys. Have an awesome Sunday and a great week. We'll see you in the house next weekend.